everybody, it's the ID84 show live here from quarantine on a special early edition two-hour special because we have a special guest coming from the other side of the pond live tonight where the time zone difference is quite the differential. Uh, down below, Adam, we have uh, Mr. Kowalski. How are you, sir? Good at you guys. Doing wonderful. This is your third time on the show, I believe. Over That's the true. This is the third time. Yeah. That's true. First time via Zoom. And of always, we have uh, to the left of me, uh, Adam DeMallet. And uh, directly below of me, Mr. Ryan Glover uh, from my respective uh, studios. Uh, yes, third time on the show. First time you were on the show was, I believe, 2011 or 12 or something in that nature. That's right? true. That was the yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was at the old studio. That's the, that's the one we had. It was like that sketchy-ass studio where you had to walk up the alleyway, go upstairs, you know? I remember that, you know, and I, I applied to you know, to join the show by Craigslist or yes. something like that. Yes, I believe that is correct. That's how I met these two fine gentlemen below and to the right of me from the list of Craig. Um, but actually, I have a question for you guys. Craigslist still exists in America? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, unless you're looking for a hooker, because they they yeah. frown upon the that pot <laughs> now. Yeah, that used to be the primary reason anyone used the Craigslist. Uh, but uh, wow. I found Adam on a, on a personal ad. You know, we were it was a casual yeah, was like encounter. Years ago. Yeah, it's been a long time ago. Just think, wow. if, if it wasn't for for Mr. Craig and his list, we wouldn't have this uh, montage of gentlemen here right now, all put together in this uh, one Zoom. Uh, yeah. Mr. Kowalski, how are things out in, uh, you're in Paris, correct? Paris, France? Yes. Yeah. How long, how long have you been out there for? Well, I moved here like four years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, so far so good. Yeah. Europe is nice. You know, it's another vibe. It's, uh, what, what yeah, how, do you, how do you feel about the French? Cause I hate them. <laughs> I am not a fan of the French. I am really not. Like I am not prejudiced. You're French or Canadian. Anybody, but I am biased. I'm French Canadian. I'm better. Okay. <laughs> I am biased against the French, though. I because out of all my world travels, I would say the French have been the most like pretentious that I have run into, and I can name five six i'm not talking about like one occasion i can name like five six seven instances where a person from france just completely i thought was a complete no, no, no. <laughs> it is it's true you know i'm coming from latin america i'm coming from costa rica and of course there's like a cultural difference yes but 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 once you get to know them they are pretty nice you know just yeah. need to get to know <laughs> all right i'll let it fly all right <laughs> french canadians are the same way though when you first go up to montreal they like hate you because you're american and then you start like shooting the shit of them a little bit and we talked about this the other day the, the, I, I, I don't know about the real french but i know the french canadians are the, the mo they would insult you in the most polite way like i was at a like a bruins <laughs> montreal game and they were insulting me yeah. but it sounded so nice and i was just so gracious to be <laughs> To be able to take part in such a, uh, you know, an insult, if you will, you know. But um, 
So Costa Rica, the last time we talked, we were live in studio, uh, I think four years ago or three years ago, and then I was back in 2011, 2012, and you were on a tour, and you were stopping in some places in the United States along the way, and you were in Boston, I guess, uh, both times. Um, how did you end up in France, of all places? Like, just randomly, or do you have a band there that you've been working with? Or? No, 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 actually, you know, it was like, you know, I started to tour here more in Europe, and... Uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah, I met I met a girl around here. So then, ah, and then, ah oh, there it is. Yeah, got the ladies, <laughs> the ladies. You're settling okay, yourself down. Did, yeah. A world traveler, you're settling yourself down, and it always it is always a girl that gets you where you got to go. You know, one place or another. Um, someone's moved. Uh, you know, a majority of people at least once for a for a lady. You know, so it's good for you. Sure, you know, nice sure. French girl. Is she French as well, or is she? Uh, she is she a, a foreign from this from the uh, country of France? She's yeah, French, yeah. French, Frenchy, froggy girl. What can we do? <laughs> nice. nice. But but you know, guys, it's it's a yeah. I guess the life is going to take you in different directions. You know, I'm from Costa Rica to Boston to to, to France. Yeah. To the Europe, and if you feel well, wherever you are, why not? You know, stay there. It's, do you go home to visit often? How often do you go home to visit? Do you have, still have family in Costa Rica? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I go to Costa Rica every year. Yeah. And actually, actually, I was there. I was there since March to July because you know I was trapped there. You know because yeah, there's no flies, nothing. So it was. So I stayed there during all these you know COVID virus thing. You know. But uh, it was good. It was good to be back, you know, at home in my neighborhood. Even if we have a lockdown, but it was it was good. Yeah. <laughs> but I go I go to Costa Rica every year. Costa Rica is great. Always want to go. It looks beautiful. Everything I see, every time I see pictures, it looks beautiful. Oh man, Costa Rica is great. The, the Caribbean coast, Pacific coast, yeah. and you know, it, it's great. You know, the people people is really nice there. Yeah, you guys should go. What's uh what's COVID nineteen doing out there in France? Are you guys uh, still locked down over there, or had they loosened it up a little bit? Well, actually, here was uh, they had like a serious lockdown for two months, like nobody can go out or anything like that. But um, after like the COVID almost disappeared, and nobody hear about it, and okay, and you release again all the people, but now the things coming back. Yeah. Oh man! So looks like we're gonna. Looks like we're gonna have a second wave, and especially here in Paris, looks like uh, they're gonna. Yeah, we go. We're gonna have another lockdown, but it's pretty strict, you know. If, if you go out, they put you. They they give you a ticket, you know, for like 150, 130 euros. Wow! You, they find you. Oh wow! <laughs> so that's must. This must be killing your 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 industry. I mean, you're a professional musician. I, I, venues are closed. I'm assuming, right? No one can go out. So what have you been doing? Like, how do you how do you survive it? Yeah, well, actually, um, I do more like a virtual shows and uh, stuff like that. But other than that, now and now, no no live shows, no live tours. All my my shows in 2020 got canceled. Jesus. Uh, but 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 actually, you know, you need to find another way. So I, I do a lot of like virtual shows on my page and stuff like that, and people seem to like it and. Yeah, we're hoping that in 20, 2021, we're going to get back and start to play more concerts and all that. Yeah. 
virtual show is going to be interesting though because I so a couple of weeks ago we talked about how I did I did virtual stand up comedy via Zoom. Yeah. And part of playing music and part of you know doing comedy and stuff like that is you work in the crowd, right? So you you get a feel yeah. of the energy in the room and stuff. And if you're sitting in your bedroom and you're playing the guitar um, to a bunch of people, nevertheless, are watching, but the energy level seems a little bit different. I would think. Is that have you? This has affected you at all, or have you been able to kind of adapt and just kind of go with it? Yeah, you know, it's different because in the end, you're alone in one room, and then you're broadcasting the thing, and it's like kind of weird. And then you gotta read in the you know the screen what the people saying. But yeah. actually, it's a new world. It's a new world we're living, and I guess we just need to adapt. To yeah. that thing. But it's kind of weird. Yeah. But I liked it. You know, it's, it's different. What we have now. I'm, I'm sure your live. It's better than nothing, at least. No, you're right. Your live shows are a little more adventurous than the live shows I put on. I go in my basement and I build a Lego set on Instagram in front of uh, a bunch of uh, probably, you know, eight year olds. Um, and that, that's and I, I get about maybe four or five people to watch me build a Lego set live. And I, I work off their energy, I guess. So. Um, I, I understand where you're coming back with the comments. It's very hard to keep up with the comments when people are writing stuff to you, you know. But hey, you you, you have quite the fan base, though, right? Because I was the first time I met you, I was I was jealous as hell because you were just traveling. You were going from this place to this place. You were all over the oh, literally all over the world, just traveling and making a living at it. It's it's, a, it's an incredible lifestyle. Uh, yeah, but like. Yeah, it just it's just now it just seems like you know now it's on a standstill, right? Because now you can't go anywhere if you wanted to, because no one you know you can't can't leave. It's stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you just need to adapt, you know, to this new situation. I guess yeah. all these things are gonna come back at some point. You're you know, but Yeah. What we need to do is just. I must say to do what you do and like jump all over the place and travel all this and then for the love of music you have to be like so passionate i, I don't think i've ever been passionate about anything i've ever done in my life that much so that I, i'm quite jealous of that like that is that, wait crazy honky like, holocaust you weren't passionate about honky holocaust your your emmy award why do you movie? keep bringing that movie it's up. a great why movie do you keep... it's a great movie and it doesn't get the recognition it should you were the you were the star of that movie it doesn't no, I was not. I was. I, I. I. think I broke a record though for most extras you could play in, in a film. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. It's a little, little budget no. movie. <laughs> Damn man. So, uh, so your girl's from yeah. France, and uh, does she go on tour with you when you when you eventually do travel around, or does she kind of stay put and kind of keep the homestead? Yeah. Oh, oh no 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 no. When when I go on tour, I go with my band and. Uh, she can't come. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think David Lee Roth saying the no, same no, thing. No, no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No. no, but it's cool, you know. Yeah. You need to get somebody who supports you when you, you know, with your passion, with your career. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It's not easy because music is very difficult. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of competition and it's difficult to make a career in music. Oh hell yeah. But. Uh, yeah, you just need to get push, 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 and push, and and, and believe in yourself, and then something's gonna happen at some point. And you gotta continue to like reinvent yourself too to kind of keep up with like trends and times too, right? So like when you when you started off, you know, ten fifteen years ago, you're not it's, you're you're different. You probably have the same soul and the same base, but you've had to adapt over stuff over time, right? 
yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, you were changing with time, with depending where you are, you know, when I was in, in America, probably I was playing more punk, punk rock, and, uh, and then here in Europe, I adapt my music to something more reggae, more reggae vibe, mm. and uh, that's what I'm doing more, more now, you know, and I guess, I guess that would be, that would keep interesting, you know, interesting in, in my music and, you know, keep my people interested in what I'm doing, you know, because I'm always changing and trying to adapt my music to modern things or something new. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, so how's your, how's your French? Because obviously you, you've merged yourself into a French speaking country. Um, sure. And I'm assuming Spanish is probably your. What's that? What they speak in Spanish in Costa Rica, right? Am I just? Am I making yeah, this yeah, up? Exactly. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what they're speaking. So I'm assuming that's your first language. You speak English very well. Um, so, but how did you like? Does your girl speak English, or she speaks Spanish, or or is there constantly like just a lot of yelling and like holding up yeah. objects? How's that go? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know, actually, if if you want to live in France, you need to learn French. Okay. It's like. Um, if you want to get like your green card or whatever you want to get mm -hmm. to live in, in France, you need to have like a French, you know, level to speak at least to understand. But it, uh, you know, in the in the beginning, it was difficult for me because yeah, it's a tough language, guys. Yeah. Oh, man, it's not easy, not easy. Even for me, that kind of like a Spanish and French are similar, but no way man french are is different than anything and i studied french you know i went to classes and i study and now i feel i feel okay i feel pretty comfortable i, I speak with the people and i guess that they understand me they always ask me hey where are you from what's what, what's that accent coming from yeah <laughs> it's, well, it's same same thing that they ask me in america always Hey, where are you from? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be very unique speaking French with your uh, your your Costa Rican twang. Um, I'm I I mean I took classes I took Italian classes when I was in high school and uh, my Boston accent pretty much butchered the hell out of the the language. I was I was pronouncing things that are incorrect. You know I was I was asking to use uh, toilet paper for lunch. You know because I couldn't pronounce things correctly. You know, but uh, damn, so it's crazy. So. So that's I mean that's an interesting concept. I understand. I know that like uh, in Canada, you have to learn French and English because that's both their national languages. So um, yeah. it makes sense in France that you would have to adapt to yeah. learn the language. Um, so I was in Paris once for uh, it was Thanksgiving, and uh, well American Thanksgiving. They don't they don't fond they're too fond of Thanksgiving over in uh, Paris, from what I understand. No. Um, so I was over there and. Uh, <laughs> I actually had a, I had a good time. I, I I we were there for like three or four days, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I enjoyed the fact that I could walk into a grocery store and buy a bottle of wine for like three and a half euros, and then just oh, get and hammered for nothing. You and know, a bottle of wine. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Um, I went to a. Uh, I I recently just went back to my pictures and tried to figure out where the hell I was. There's a sports bar I went to. Um, it was great because it, so you're five hours ahead of Boston. So at uh, midnight, uh, you know, France time, the Boston Celtics were on live in Boston. So I watched the Celtics game live at the bar. It was over around 3 o'clock in the morning. And I go, are you closing? They're like, oh. they're like no, we're staying open because the Lakers game was going to be the next game live on the, on the West Coast. 
I, I left that bar when the sun came up as the Lakers game was over. It was it was the most amazing experience ever. I mean, that was my fondest memory of France. Not the not the Louvre, not the Eiffel Tower. You know, not almost getting hit by a car over near the Akatradumph. Uh It was basically, uh, you know, oh, the, oh, the best was I don't speak any French, nor do I understand it very good. Um, I was with my sister and a couple friends. We actually ended up on the wrong subway multiple times, going in the complete opposite direction that we needed to. It was it was it was it was quite the ex- and then the subways they they stopped running like what 11 p.m. like 11:30 right don't they stop running fairly early somewhere yeah depends depends, depends on the day, yeah. so I'm panicking I don't know how I'm gonna get back we're sitting there because this is before Uber Uber wasn't invented yet. this is this is 12 years ago ah. and uh, I can only yeah. imagine having a conversation so we flagged on a cab so the guy pulls up and you know how everyone in in Europe drives those like smaller vehicles right. And uh, there's, th- there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's four of us, so we're like, oh, we need a ride. He had to remove, he had a trombone in his front seat that he had to put in his trunks to, to make room for me to sit there. It was, it was, it's a very interesting experience, and I will never forget it. Definitely. Hey, look, look, Paris. Paris is full of music. Paris is um, it's a great city to come and visit. It yeah, is. definitely. Yeah. Even if the French going to be tough sometimes with it, the tourists. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough love. I, I think... I think anyone, for since you know, even Bostonians are uh, are rough against the tourists too. But once you warm up to, uh, you know, it's it's nice. You know, maybe Adam, you just need to get warmed up by a French person. You know what I mean? Maybe they no, get by the a... women are all right. I haven't had any problems with any French women. Their accent will win you over. Mm. You. It's oh, the guys. French women you know, are phenomenal. Uh, that, those are the people I've had a problem with. Oh yeah, no, they're lovely. They're lovely ladies, and I, you know, French Canadians from like the, like the Quebec, or uh, even the the real That's French. Funny. You know? Don't. They're more funny, and at least they were kicked out for being rebellious. That's that's more so. That's, that, is, that is true. They are a rebellious type. Uh, the red light district in Paris, I uh, I I did not um, partake in any of the uh, uh, of the arrangements there. I did, we did walk through, and uh, it's it, it's everything you think it would be. I literally walk into these places, and there's a menu on the the wall that says what the prices are for what you do and you're you're a man in a relationship i'm sure you don't partake in the red light district anymore no <laughs> except when you're in amsterdam right that's the only thing the red light special amsterdam yeah amsterdam is different that's another world yeah it's that different country rule right you're in a different country you can do whatever you want right right adam that's true. Well, it's funny because like five minutes ago, you mentioned Eiffel Tower. And I was like, I started thinking of certain things. And I was like, oh, that's right. We're not talking to somebody in that business this week. No, <laughs> we, 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 we had a very lovely porn star um, on uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, was it Camel? It was Camelo the one who was talking about the Eiffel Tower, right? Carmella. Yeah. Carmella. Yes. Yeah. And she was, she was talking to us about uh, how she likes to do uh, said Eiffel Tower. Um, in the sexual manner, not the uh, great architectural sculpture, sculpture that's uh, in, in downtown Paris. Um, you know, the Eiffel uh, Tower yeah. is pretty impressive. I'm sure you've been there a few times that might be in there. Yeah, sure. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. If you, and if you can't make it out there, people, to the Eiffel Tower in Paris, the Eiffel Tower in, um, in, in uh, Las Vegas, I believe, is about half the size of the real Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, wow. yeah, and if you really, really don't want to go out to the West Coast, you can go to Disney World and Epcot, and that Eiffel Tower is, like, three-quarter, like, a quarter of the size of the real Eiffel Tower, so. And then, if you can't make really? if you can't make it to those three places, check out a pawn so when someone's doing the Eiffel Tower, and then you'd be all set. Definitely. Yeah, no shit. 
So while on tour, um, I'm sure you've been. So you, wh- what countries have? I guess you could say what haven't you been? I'm sure you've been to Italy, Germany. You've been probably all around, right? During the tour. And what? So you you said you were gonna do a lot of touring over there. What drew you over there? Did you have a do you have a fan a huge fan base over there in Europe that kind of was kind of demanding your presence, or did you just want to try to tap into a new uh, region and kind of see if you could spread the music a little bit? Yeah, well, depends depends, especially in Germany, like the south south uh, southeast of Germany, we have like a yeah good fan base you can call like they they come to our shows and all that. Yeah, but. Um, even so in Paris, of course, because I'm local there, you know, I have a lot of friends and friends and friends, bringing friends. But in other countries, I'm trying, you know, to try to get to there, especially like in reggae shows, mm-hmm. to Spain. We play in Spain this time. We play in Romania once too. Nice. That was great. Netherlands, Amsterdam, Amsterdam's great. Belgium, so England, London, mm-hmm. and even in another towns in England. That was great. I got one question for you. I got a question for you. Where is a place? You're saying all oh, these places are great. Where is a place you would be like, I'm never going back? <laughs> See, Come on, it's got to be one. Isolate his fan base. One. Come on. I'm never going back to. Oh man. You're like I. Well, I just didn't like it. Detroit. It might not have been bad. It just wasn't for you. You just didn't feel it. It just didn't connect. No, one one time I played. I played in like a, in a town called Dijon. Dijon. It's like the mustard, like mustard of Dijon. It was oh like man, a it was like a punk, punk venue, and all the all the beds were like full of vomit and all that. It was like, oh, where are we gonna? It was it was amazing, man. The bathrooms were like Turkish bathrooms, and then it was just a whole a oh, whole there. Jesus. Party. <laughs> yeah, you need a shower after one of those shows, right? I mean, oh no, Jesus. it was like a man. How, how are we gonna, you know? Do something there in that bathroom or sleep in that bed or yeah. vomit. Oh bed. God! No, no that's a, that's <laughs> no, that's. Never go back there. Yeah, no, that sounds like a potty sure. right there, right? I think I think uh, like on the episode of The Simpsons where like Bart like you know gets sent to France. That's where he goes. The Dijon like he's like, <laughs> he's like wine making town. <laughs> he like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a nice town. We just play in a punk venue where I guess that's the vibe. You yeah. Know? When you play in a punk venue, but oh man, when when you uh, and, and, oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, no, another time I have to, I have to sleep in a venue where they have an aquarium. Like this is my bed, and you know, beside the bed was like an aquarium full of crocodiles. <laughs> Believe me, guys. that's awesome. You're like Captain Hook, <laughs> a fucking crocod, a, a aquarium full of crocodiles. <laughs> the fuck crocodiles and then the owner of the baby grabbed me one crocodile and he said hey don't put don't put your your finger anything in between the, his jaws yeah he's gonna just smack and it was a baby crocodile and he was like doing like but i, I would go back to that place because you know he has some interesting animals oh, yeah <laughs> i'm sure does he have a tiger too that he keeps there then he tries to have threesomes with girls no. and he kind of brings the tiger cubs out <laughs> It's like Joe Exotic. Like Joe Exotic, <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus, crocodiles. I would crocodiles, be a... believe in a bed, like an aquarium. Yeah. Just beside bed. That was yeah. amazing. That was amazing. I'd be afraid to sleep. I'm afraid. <laughs> I, 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 I'm scared enough walking by an aquarium full of lobsters, and they have the little rubber bands on. They never let a crocodile 
that could uh, sn my turtle sneaked out of the tank once before. So I would think that the crocodile could do such a thing too. And you wake up and and you're a musician. You you need your limbs. You know what I mean? You lose a finger, it's all over. You need you know what I mean? It's all over. Yeah. Of course, it's over. You, I don't know what you do. You can't you can't have like a, like a mechanical hand, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you could maybe you could. We need our fingers. Yeah. For sure. Maybe you can duct tape a drumstick to a to a knob or something like that. You can stop playing the drums or something. I don't know. You're really limited to what you can do after you lose a hand. Jesus. So when, when you tour, are you uh, you guys in a bus or like, or do you kind of just go in a van and drive around and stay at hotel rooms and stuff for the most part? No, it just depends. Depends. Sometimes, sometimes we are traveling separate. Sometimes. We travel in a bus. Sometimes we travel in a van. Yeah, yeah. I have a, I have like a minivan too, so I travel with my mi minivan with all the instruments and all that. It's kind of like oh wow, <laughs> Jesus, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, do you need a roadie? I can see if I can take some time off for my uh, wife and kid for a little while. Kind of tour Europe of you for a little while. So, okay, well, see if like, she gives me permission. Should have be a wild adventure. I could drive your minivan for you. Sure, sure, but <laughs> I always, always get stopped by the police all the time oh yeah because i i have like a rasta colors in my van and you know all the all the uh, you know windows are black mm -hmm. and i don't know what they're thinking man but they i always got stuff hey man they just make they, and they always ask me the same do you smoke anything yeah do you have, do you have any drugs in your in your, in your van was no it's full of instruments you want to check it out <laughs> It's like the Scooby Doo. What was, the, what was the Scooby Doo's van called? The, the time travel or something like that. Yeah, uh, you know. I, I see the uh, Bob Marley shirt, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, what is like the attitude on like marijuana in Paris? Like, can you can you smoke marijuana legally? Yeah, it's, it's well, it's I would say it's like not legal, but yeah, you you smell it in the streets. And it's pretty open in Europe in general. It's pretty open. It's not like in America that they're gonna put you in jail or you know it's it's not like that. Here. Yeah, it's like decriminalized, almost decriminalized, right? You, you know, kind of. Yeah, yeah, you will say kind of. The problem is when you are you know driving or stuff like that. Of course, they get more strict. But if, if you're in the streets smoking or something like that, yeah, I don't think that's travel. Last thing you want to yeah. do is get thrown in the Dijon jail, right, in the middle of France <laughs> for having a J on you. <laughs> oh no! You don't want you don't want that. No, no, not at all. Jesus Christ, that, that's wild. I mean, is it a, a, the adventure of a rock star? I, uh, I, I, I wish I was a rock star at some point in my life. Uh, you know, that just just to just for the experience, even if it's just a roadie. You know what I mean? Like roadies have stories and stuff like this. Like, you know, the ladies and just the the, the crap places you play. And uh, when you were in Boston, where did where did you play? here it was the middle east yeah i played I play at the middle east i play at the um paradise too okay yeah wow i play i play like how, how cool. i love paradise it's a great it's a great, it's a great venue there but they told me they told me they're gonna close uh the middle east right? I think, I, yeah okay. I, I think it already closed um they were yeah. they were planning yeah. on it and then uh I think some developer bought the land. It was, it was, you know, as well as I do, it was a death trap. If there was ever a fire, you're done, though, in that place. I mean, you're in a basement with one stairway going up, you know, and yeah. Oh, I, uh, the last time I was there was like a huge fight. It was crazy. Like, <laughs> <all right. laughs> I think it's, 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 it's
That's crazy. Adam That's and I, crazy. we used to go to the Middle East all the time. Uh, what, do you remember the old radio station? The second station you came to was down the street from the Middle East. It was probably like you know yep. half mile away. Adam, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam and I used to go there all the time, and we used to have a few a uh, few cocktails prior post show or whatever like that. And there was some characters, like the regulars that go to that bar, were very very interesting people. It was it was a dump, but I, I liked it. Yeah. You know what? It was a dump, but it felt like a bar. It felt like it an did. actual place. It was dirty. You know I mean, it was a fucking dump though. I wouldn't eat there, but I would totally have no, a drink there. No, you know? no. <laughs> they had that. I think I'd rather eat at that strip club in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> The Middle East had this bathroom that the door didn't lock properly. So it had like one toilet in there, and there was right. there were multiple times I was taking a shit, and that door got whipped open for me for everyone to see me just uh, sitting there on my throne. Uh, yeah, it, rest rest in peace, Middle East. It's a, it's a shame because I feel like a lot of the good uh, music venues, at least in the Boston area, got kind of closing up because. Not that there's no demand for it, because there's certainly a demand for it. I think I think you could find any, you could fill those places any given night. I think it's the the owners are getting greedy, and they know that they can get so many million dollars for their building um, that it's not worth to keep the music alive. And and then you even build a new venue, it's not the same. It just doesn't have the same feel to it. You know, you need the dirt, you need the grime, you need the history, you know, you need the smells. You know, the sticky yeah, floors. You need a good dive. Everyone needs a good dive bar every once in a while. Yeah, man. So, did you have any uh, Boston uh, gigs planned, or, you, or up for the next year, or are you kind of just doing the Europe thing and then gonna kind of make your way back over to the states? No, actually, actually, I also go back to Boston every year. You know, I wanted to go back this year. Yeah. But um, of course, because of this situation, I I, I can go back. And um, about to also to finish a new album that uh, my uh, my producers and my engineers are in Boston. They're oh. still in Boston. Oh, sweet. They play with Boston bands, you know, Big D and the Kids Table, or I don't know if you guys know the Big D and the Kids Table. Oh, yeah, Big D. Yeah, yeah. I see him a bunch of times. Big D, huh? Big, no, <laughs> so I know two Big Ds. I know Big D and the Kids Table. They're good. And I know Big D. This is it's a long story. It's a, it's a, a crazy night in some of us. That was, that was Adam's, Adam's nickname in high school, Big D. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know these these um, these reggae shows called the Reggae Takeover in Boston. No, no. Huh? Oh. They they do like a, they do like reggae shows every Wednesday in Cambridge, actually near near the Middle East. Okay. And uh, yeah, they they invite me to play, and I wanted to do it this year, but uh, looks like uh, I don't know. Once this you know virus is gone and yeah. all this, I'm gonna go back to Boston. And uh, yeah, play some shows there Absolutely. with these guys. The reggae takeover. We uh, yeah, a couple of reggae. We, we we'll be there. To, I'm telling you. Yeah, we, are you we, invited? What the hell? I know. We'll be, trust <laughs> me. I'm inviting. I'm inviting myself. I'll be there. I can guarantee that right there. No, I will invite you guys for sure. I appreciate for sure. that. Right, better. So you two, you so you you play with different bands, different places. I remember when we first did the show together, you had a group band you were playing with, and then you had another band. Where do you find the musicians to play with the bands? Do you kind of just put an ad out there, or do you kind of like know through connections and through like you know, the whole music world, you know? No, no, I already have my musicians in Boston. Yeah, actually. So you when have I get there, I just send them my music, and actually they are recording in my album and all that. So I just ask them, hey guys, just play this show or. So you got people Sometimes. in different places. So you you can go to one place and have you ba- have a band that's familiar with you, ready to go, and you just kind of bounce sure. around. That's pretty convenient. Sure. I mean, you can pretty much go. Sure. It's cheap too because you can just you can fly off on a whim and just be like, hey, I'm just heading to you know Nebraska because I got a band out there that's 
plays a killer reggae. Reg Not that I don't know if a lot of people listen to reggae in Nebraska in particular, yeah. but I'm sure they are, right? So who knows? No. That's we're, awesome. pretty good at that, you know, because sometimes you want to have your band and it's like solid and you guys are practicing all the time together. But uh, in the other hand, this opened the world and it's easier. If I go to Boston, you know, the guys are there. If I'm going to Los Angeles, the guys are there and I can yeah. play with them. So That's that cool. makes the things easier. And I am the guy traveling and the guys stay there. So we just play together, yeah. make some rehearsals and we just put it together and do it. You seem like a very... Uh... Which, which word virtual virtual musician it can kind of adapt to his environment and kind of just kind of go with it so very positive he is very positive the, the positivity the positivity yeah, sure. it's, out of, it's out of this world you know it, it's covid we're locked down i can't play music at a pop but i could do this you know or you know i'm gonna go this it's, it's you know good for you I, yeah. it's tough to stay positive in these times it really is i mean it's, it's the world we live in these days you know but uh so you 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 said you would like to play some. Well, we would like you to play a couple of songs for us tonight. Uh, um, it would be a pleasure. Sure. Let's let's do it. Let's. Uh, you get the ukulele uh, ready to go. Let's uh, let's rock out. I mean, I here. before uh, before you stop playing, which uh, how can people get you music? How's that? We, we we would be able to download and buy some of your albums. For sure, for sure. Music Kowalski, and then I mean iTunes and uh, Spotify. And Amazon, whatever you guys want, you can find my albums there. And actually, a new album is coming. Mr. Kowalski, M R K O W A L S K Y. Mr. Kowalski. Beautiful. All right, Mr. Kowalski, the mic is yours. Play us a tune. Nice. nice. This is a song we wrote actually after uh, after show. We did like a like an after show party in uh, Frankfurt. Okay. And you know, we played this concert and it was nice. And then I don't know, somehow everyone come to our hotel for the after party. <laughs> so we had we had in our room like I don't know, forty people and everybody were like drinking and doing and when I woke up, when I woke up it was like a full of sleeping between empty bottles. Oh. I was like sleeping like that in empty bottles. So I make a song about that. It's, and made of the song is the name of the song is "Sleeping Between Empty Bottles." Here we go. All right. Here we go. Oh, yo, yo, yo. 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 Oh, yo, yo
That's a song anyone can relate to, I think. Even my you're in a good mood, though. You even put my, me in a good mood. I yeah. gotta say, you're very good. Your energy is, uh, even through this, I can feel your energy. It's good. Even, I like it. No one's great about that song anyone can relate to. Even my nine-month-old son can relate to that song because he's woken up with empty bottles and is, uh, is next to him. So there you go. <laughs> so whether you're, whether you're a little kid or a big kid, you can have it. And, I love it. I love it. <laughs> It was guys, I believe, believe me, it was probably like, I don't know, 40, 50 people in this, you know, in our room. And then I was like, no, man, I'm so tired. I can't sleep. Yeah. And I, I, I sleep and they still were doing the party and everything. And then I woke up. It was like, what is all this, man? All these bottles around me. That was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Only on tour. You're going to be hearing that song. Uh, you're gonna be hearing. You're just gonna be tapping your foot. You're gonna be at work. Like, Empty ball. Can you get that song? You can get that song on iTunes. I'm assuming, right? Sure, sure, sure. iTunes or Spotify, whatever you guys. And you told you guys... us. You, you told us a story about Mr. Kowalski, where you got the name from. Um, last time we talked, uh, what? Just for, we have the new listeners. What? Can you give us a little idea where the name came from? Sure, sure. Mr. Kowalski is just you know a joke. Yeah. It was like, um, it was a. Um, Actually, played I played in another band before, and one of the tune, one of the name of the tunes was Mr. Kowalski. Okay. And uh, we called like this. It was a joke to one of the guys in the band because he was dating an old girl, a girl without hair. <laughs> so I don't know why we called him Mr. Kowalski. You know, it was to the kids <laughs> who were the punkies, and uh, we called him like that. And I was like, oh man, I'm just gonna grab this for my you know stage name. Why not? <laughs> But that doesn't make any sense, you know. No, it's like, okay. it's, those are the best band names. It sounds like it should be like an old science teacher at high school, right, Mr. Kowalski? <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> but not very, but not as fun as uh, as you guys. Absolutely. Um, I think we have. You have time for one more song if you want to play some, maybe something you're working on, something that maybe no of one's heard. You know? Of course, you guys want to hear another one. We'd love yeah. to. Yeah. We'll... Do it. Actually, this is another song that I wrote. It's about Paris and it's about it's about about the chaos that is happening in the world right now, and it's about it's in French and English in the same time, and um, nice. yeah, it's it's about um, yeah, it's about all these chaos and missing somebody when you are on tour, missing somebody that you love. Hey, baby, what are we gonna do with these chaos in the world? That's, so it's about that. This is how you get laid. You speak French, English, and Spanish 
and you play guitar. If you can't, if you can't get your pickle wet, I don't know what, what you, someone's problem is if they can't do all, all those for right there. You know what I mean? So, good for you. We're, I'm trying, you know, we're, we're just hey, trying our best. Doesn't look like you have to try. It looks like it's a nap. You look like Michael Jordan out there. <laughs> the name of this, this tune is Chaos Monamu. All right, take it away, sir. And it goes, it goes like. Ukulele. Damn, it was good. You know, right? awesome, How many bro. people can say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to learn. It's hard to learn. Awesome. But actually, actually, ukulele, ukulele is easier. It's easier than the guitar. Yeah. It's, but, it's, yeah it's, it's a beautiful instrument. You can, you know, just bring it to the beach or bring it whatever you are going. Bring it to the beach. Yeah. Pick pick up some broads playing the ukulele there over here. You know. <laughs> Very small, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's here, and you know, just one finger here's one note, for example. Which which this the, is C? 
What's the tuning on that? Is it the uh, first uh, four of the regular guitar, or is it just a special tune? No, no, it's a it's a nautical band tune. Okay. Actually, C A G P. Oh wow! Okay. Totally, another another tune, but um, it it it's great. You just need to learn, you know, how to to do you know to put your fingers and all that. But other than that, it's it's pretty easy. It's easier it's easier than the guitar. Yeah. And beautiful. Sounded good. That's awesome. It sounded great. And uh, we are running close to the mock. We're going to take a break here. And, and uh, we got a couple of few more guests. Mr. Kwaski, would you like to join us and hang around? I know it's late over there in Paris. Uh, don't feel ugly either way. Hey, thank you. Thank you, guys. Probably I'm just going to go on crash because That's tomorrow cool. I have to do some stuff early in the morning. But, hey, guys, it was great. Thank you for having me. Thank you, guys. It was nice talking was to you again. Real, real quick, uh, tell us everyone again where they can get your music, where they can download, where they can find you. Start spreading your uh, all your links there. For sure, Mr. Kowalski, M R K O W A L S K Y, Mr. Kowalski, in Facebook or Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, or MrKowalski.com. You guys can find me there Perfect. for sure. And yeah, listen to my music or my YouTube channel. I have some some videos there that I filmed in Jamaica or Costa Rica, yeah. France, cool, all over man. the places. And we'll have we'll post all your links in the bottom of the uh, description of this video on uh, YouTube and on iTunes as well. Uh, Mr. Kowalski, thank you so much for joining us. Um, when you get to Boston, let us know. We'd like to go party with you. Fuck for yeah. sure. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers buddy. Well. I hope to be back in Boston soon. So yes. you guys can, can see a concert sometime soon. Sounds good, brother. Definitely. All right. And Ryan, we have a few more guests going on tonight. Would you like to uh, give a little sneak preview of who's going to be on? Okay. Uh, so we have um, a sneak preview. A son of a uh, living legend. You know, uh, a boxing living legend. Just got to give you a kind of a, a idea and uh a film producer as well. So it's going to be a good show. All right. And everyone watching out there on Facebook, we're going to take a little five to ten minute break. Uh, we're going to go get some, go to the bathroom, get some drinks. You're going to see nothing for about ten minutes. It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. And uh, we will be back after that. Again, Mr. Kowalski, thank you very much. And we'll see you guys in about ten minutes on the ID84 show. All right. All right, everybody, it's the ID84 show. Rejoining here, episode 145, second part of the show here, and we have two new guests. Ryan, would you like to introduce who we have on tonight? Okay, so we have uh, Ray Leonard Jr., successful entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, and radio host. And we also have producer, actor, the producer of American Whisper, Howard Nash. American Whisper is now streaming on Amazon Prime. It is the true story of the unsolved murders of an upper-class African-American family. Hell yeah. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, Howard, you said you were down in Florida today, right? Today I'm in Florida, yeah. Florida. And, you get and that. Uh, see the inclement weather just out the window. Yes, I can see it out there. It's worse. Looks like, a, yeah, it looks like a green screen back there, you know, like you're in the middle of a, some kind of ride at University. It is a green, it is a green screen. <laughs> That's it. It's a green screen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Ray, yeah. where are you joining us from tonight? Uh, sunny Southern California, and where it's uh, a balmy 118 degrees right now. Yeah, 
governor came on today and said there's an emergency situation we have going on because it's too daggone hot so they say they say it's a, it's a dry heat though right <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly what they say. Right, you walk outside, start sweating. So we got fine for like watering your lawn and stuff like that. Yeah, I have turf grass, so yeah. <laughs> I would just get the artificial turf like they have at like uh, the football stadiums. So you never have to maintain it. It always looks nice, you know, and then you don't have to worry about uh, it dying on you or anything like that. But you get the two extremes. We got the hut, hut Florida, and we got hut California. Um, I gotta tell you. It's pretty damn hot up here in Boston the last few weeks. I mean, it, it, we could, I don't know if it's 113 degrees like it is in Southern California, and I don't think it would be as stormy as we are in Florida. But I got to tell you, it gets pretty wild up here sometimes. Well, you guys, you guys have the humidity, too, so it's, uh, it's a little different. You should feel, you should, it stays hot all night long. Oh, yeah. You should feel the studio I'm in right now. I think it's 102 degrees in the studio right now. Between the lights and no air conditioner, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, uh, wait, a sauna for the most part. <laughs> well, you have great lighting. Well, thank you. You know what? I, I, you know, I, no one's have ever complimented me on my lighting in my little second bedroom upstairs in my house. So everybody, even Adam, who, who has the light behind him but doesn't even use it. I just don't understand. <laughs> like, it's like a studio. make it too hot in there. It's like a studio piece. Like you like you show. Like like you were behind the actors' guilt. Like you're in the scenes, right? Yeah, like, man. It's the green screen. That's the light that goes on the green screen. And just, I don't want to stand in the heat. It's already damn hot. No, no AC gets out in here. So yeah, you know. listen, AC's overrated, right? That's how it goes. Um, so so Ray, we'll start with you. Um, what are you? Which, so you're an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, radio show host. Uh, what, what do you do radio on? I do radio on Salem radios on uh, the 1170 uh, AM, the answer in San Diego, as well as uh, in Dallas on 660 AM in Dallas. And what uh, so we have a radio show and a podcast that we, that we do. What kind of show do you do? So the show is called It's Your Life. And basically we talk about everyday life stuff. So we have on, you know, different guests and, 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 and tackle topics. We try to have something that's, that's kind of positive, you know, because we got so much negative craziness going on right now. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do is talking about positive. It's something that the audience can actually uh, take back with them. Uh, so we just had our last episode. We had an Antonio Tarver, the magic man, the boxer on. And then, uh, you know, previously we had Sugar Rashad Evans and my father, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, and uh, some uh, so we've had some pretty cool guests on and it actually just started in March. Right. And so I was on somebody else's radio show and the, the producer, the, the, the general manager came down and said, would you like your own show? I'm like, well, damn, it's COVID. I'm not doing nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I love it. It's, it's been a great platform to, you know, to do something positive. So I'm excited about it. And it's, it's, it's doing pretty well right now. Well, from what I gather, you definitely have uh, things to do. I was reading your very impressive resume here. I mean, you're, you're a co-founder of uh, Launch Team Consulting. You're a co-owner of Universal Media Group. You have a book coming out called Life Success Book, uh, book coming out possibly at the end of fall. Um, yeah. What do you do for fun? Like, I always look at people <laughs> have this, like, these like things, and I'm like, how? I try to wrap my head around it. I'm just like, that's great, all these accomplishments. But it's like, what do you do to unwind? I well, mean, <laughs> here's the catch. So I did every, every, every business or thing that I'm in is something that I love doing. So it, it makes it like it's not work. So I'm continuously, you know, keeping busy. I never thought that I would be a motivational speaker to be out like, cause I was a very shy kid. I never thought that I would be 
out talking in front of audiences, you know, now I'm speaking in front of thousands of people and it's like, okay, I'm just talking to my best friend, which yeah. was cool to do that. Um, but the, uh, you know, like the radio show just, just came about. I mean, I've, I've, you put yourself in, in good positions and have a positive energy and, uh, you know, it, it's, what I do for fun is play golf. There you go. There it is. Because I was going into a tangent, but yeah. now let me tell you what I do for fun. I, I play golf. Uh, I, I I swim. I, I coach football. I love uh, my my kids. Uh, a stud at, at, at football, so I coach football. So it keeps me uh, grounded. Nice. Would you say like motivational speaking is more your your passion and what you really really love to do? So everything is is, is around uh, giving back and coaching uh, to people. So whether it's from my company, from Launch Team Consulting, what we do is coach organizations and leaders about how to be better leaders and how to have better strategy within their organizations and companies. Um, for when I coach, I coach the same way. I coach from you know a top uh, strategy of saying here, everybody needs to be involved. Everybody has, has their own role to play. And so you take on your own role and then you know how you contribute to the team. And that's everything I do in life basically involves around coaching. So I guess if there's one thing that, you, that I say that I, uh, do and everything else is ancillary just kind of floats around the, the orbit it's just coaching i love coaching awesome because i was uh i was reading an article um that you know someone was talking to you and you mentioned how you had witnessed you know your abuse of your father and your mother and how and i just gotta say like to be able to usually when you hear these kind of stories and you know you witness something like that you eventually as you grow up become an abuser so to see somebody who actually isn't and actually, you know, goes out there and tries to better people and has seen things like that, that's, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I must say. The one thing is with that growing up, the way I grew up was I knew what I didn't want to be or doing what I didn't want to do. I didn't yep. actually know why, why I have so many jobs right now. That's because I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I great though, what man. I wanted to be. I knew I, what, what I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And you know, my, my parents were teenagers. We grew up in, we, we were born into, into extreme poverty and then had immediate crazy success. And so when you got two teenage parents trying to figure it out, I mean, things like things are going to happen because you, you don't know how to do it. And especially in a world where you had the paparazzi in your face and everything, I mean, every, your whole world was, was a bubble of people looking at you, judging you on every single thing you did in your life. It yeah. makes it, you know, tough to have your own space. And so um, I wanted to carve out and be independent and have my own space. And that's what I did. That's amazing. And what was it like? So what was it like growing up? I mean, your father also, you know, worldwide known around the planet. You know, during a time where boxing is, you know, one of the top sports that you know everyone can relate to. Um, like you said, you started from poverty, and you know, all of a sudden you had the success. Like, how? What? How did that? How did you wrap your mind around that? Like, you know, especially being a young kid and seeing from one day to another, and all this, you know, then the Olympic Games and all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of publicity that comes along with uh you know your, your family and I, I don't know if as a child if i could even wrap my mind around it and even comprehend it you know if, if i if i didn't tell you i was i was jacked up from a, a mental standpoint for for quite a while um my way of dealing with things was as an introvert i, I would hold everything in as a kid um because there was also um you know our, our corporate backing that said here don't say anything stupid to make the family look bad because we were the positive uh black family in, in the sports business at that time you know um my father's image was 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 like pristine and so 
I'm coming from the hood of Palmer Park, Maryland, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting there having to talk with the Queen of England. Talking about you, you talk with accent. You know, everything is, is crazy. I'm sitting there at dinner. They have 27 uh, forks and spoons and knives. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. But you know, I, I didn't want to you know, embarrass my family. So I tried, you know, as good as I could to, to do what I did. But um, yeah, it, it was it was difficult, um, you know, living in living in a bubble, living in the spotlight. But I mean, there was also benefits. I got to uh, travel around the world. I had the uh, education that no, not many people can have I mean, in their lives. I mean, I talked to Nelson Mandela. I had you know, I, Muhammad Ali was my godfather. So I got to sit and talk to him and hang out with him. I mean, it was so my, so many crazy things that I got to experience. So that kind of, I wouldn't say totally offset some of the, a lot of the negative stuff because, it, you know, the, the trauma of watching uh, abuse and watching your, your, your family go through drug and alcohol abuse and suicide, uh, idea, suicidal ideations, um, you know, it, it, it can really put you in a bad place. But I was so focused on, you know, um, I, I felt like I was actually the role model for my mother and father. Mm. Like I was going to be the one to show them to do it the right way. And then that was my thought process. And um, it was crazy because so, so for you, I mean, the, the Boston guy, right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you how it was. I'm, I'm uh, in, in middle school and I'm playing a basketball game Okay. and I foul and I go to the line and it, it's, you know, at the end of the game and this is like 1987, right before my father fought Marvin Hagler. And the whole crowd starts yelling, Hagler, Hagler. I'm like, I'm just trying to make a free throw, dude. <laughs> Why? So yeah, so it, it, it was it was it was like that. But you know, uh, I, I take the experiences. Everybody has a beautiful life experience, and um, I look at it as a journey that you know each one of us has, and I accept it and, and, and I grow with it. Did you ever think? Did you ever want to get into boxing? Did you ever want to follow in your dad's footsteps and kind of just keep it going, or? Or did you just kind of see it as, you know, it's something that's not for you? Because I know you like to coach. So, you know, yeah. if you grew up in an athletic household, I guess, you know, you can say your dad's a painter. It doesn't mean you're going to be a painter, right? You know, your dad's an astronaut. doesn't mean you're going to be an astronaut. You know, your dad's a boxer. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a boxer. But I feel like, you know, did you see did you see the bad parts of it and, and kind of turn you off a little bit? Or did you just, would you, did you just really had no interest in it? No, this this is actually what happened. So, um, you know, there there was no really push. I mean, I grew up in the gym, so I was in the gym around it all the time. I trained, you know, with the guys in the gym. So, I mean, from when I was like seven years old, I was in there throwing throwing punches. I had a couple of fights, a couple of amateur fights, and all went well. I mean, I won every every single fight. Um, um, but it, it, I just didn't have the passion for it. I just didn't have the passion for it. My grandfather was a boxer in the Navy. My uncle was the number two ranked uh, um, welterweight in the world. You know, um, and then my, my father was pretty decent. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I just never had the same passion for it as I mean, I played football and ran track and field, and that was more of a, a, a team sport kind of was was my thing. But what really made me not want to box is uh, came back from uh, I was about sixteen years old, and I was. You know, feeling myself, I was getting a little bigger and stronger, and I decided to challenge my father to a fight. And we went down the basement. And <laughs> that sounds legit. Fight. Let's go to the basement yeah. and fight. That but sounds like it's gonna end well. Fight your dad, <laughs> professional he said, boxer. He said, you do know what I do for a living, right? I said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna fall for this BS right here, right? And then we get down there, and I'm swinging punches, and uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm missing everything I throw. Yeah. Because he just got out the way real quick. And then all of a sudden, he just punched me and he punches me in my stomach. And I didn't really feel it. But, you know, it takes your brain a little while to catch up with your body sometimes. It took mm. like five seconds and my brain caught up with my body. I went down and I took off my boxing gloves and that was the end of my boxing career. You know what? And your dad did the right thing because he wasn't going to baby you. He was going to be, you want to box? Let's go box. For real. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's one way you learn if you like it. I, I mean, I've, 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 I say the word when I say boxed. I, you know, I went, you know, around with a guy at a gym and it is the most exhausting thing I ever done in my life because you're not just it's using tired. your legs, your arms, your mind. You're, you're trying to outsmart the other person, but you're trying to figure out what they're going to do too. And you're kind of going back. And then you're looking at the, the clock and you just, you're praying that this, the, the seconds go faster because you're just sitting there and you, you take a hit and it's like, like you said, by the time you realize you got the hit, the other one's coming from the other side. It's like, geez, I mean, I, I don't know how people box. I, I just don't understand. It, it, it's totally, totally counterintuitive when, when, when you start to think about it too, because the, the biggest thing you think about when you get into a fight, when you get into the ring, you're like, okay, I need to use my aggression. But your aggression, it tenses your body up and, and, and burns your energy. And so you lose oxygen while you're doing it and you're tense. Mm -hmm. So you need to be relaxed. So it's called relaxed aggression. So you want need to be relaxed and be able to breathe. And when you hear boxers training, you'll hear them boxing like every time they throw a punch because it's, it's pushing that pushing that negative, that CO2 out of their body. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I did a celebrity boxing match of, uh, about 10 years ago. Because I said, okay, I can still do this. Yeah. And I got into the ring and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> I mean, I was struggling. I'm like, God dang it. No, no, yeah, this is not, no, this is tough. Damn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I would, I don't know. The, the professional athlete style of, of living and the whole, we just had a musician on before you guys. And, you know, an athlete and a musician, they have similar lifestyles, which is the traveling. Everyone knows who they are. Um, did you find it difficult when you would go out with your dad to like, you know, you just go into the store, you know, and I'm sure he was stopped by people and you really, the privacy bubble seemed to be kind of, must kind of shrink a little bit, right? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Man, so in, in the, in the eighties and, you know, and in, even into the nineties, it, it was, it was insane. Um, because you know, we really couldn't go anywhere with, without being you know, mobbed. I mean, you, you could go and start off, and, but then when for one person recognizes and the rest of the crowd starts to come, um, you know, you, you'll get mobbed in the mall or get mobbed in every, everywhere. Um, so I had a lot of death threats on my life from, from different organizations trying to, trying to take me out back then. Yeah. And so uh, my father got me a bodyguard, so I had to walk around with this 6'6", 350-pound bodyguard for most of my uh junior high and high school life wow. uh, you know and so yeah i mean you can't be incognito with this big guy around you first and foremost right right but i mean the same thing that we talk about that you know it's it's stressful to to, to have that it's scary when you have people just swarm you and you know maybe, maybe we've had times when it was just two or two or three of us and the whole crowd just starts to swarm uh in the mall or in the uh you know, in sports arena or somewhere, yeah. and it's, it's it's scary because you because you, you have no idea whether someone's going to try to stab you or whatever's going to go on. But most most people are just you know it's adoration admiration. So, um, yeah, it, it was that was that was a whole whole different game to, to deal with, and um, I, I learned how to be patient. I learned how to how to, <laughs> to 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 relax in every situation. So, I think it actually helped me in sports when I played football. My first um, 
high school football game I played in. I, I took the OP kickoff back uh, 95 yards for a touchdown. And nice. it was because I, w- I wasn't scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I, I've been through enough scary situations. This this is not fearful to me. I'm just going to just do what I do. And as a kid, you didn't choose this lifestyle, right? And I'm sure your father didn't make Ogol to be a professional boxer so for the fame. He did it because it's something he enjoyed and he was very, very skilled at. And it, the fame comes with that. You know, so it's not like you're a Kardashian taking pictures on Instagram trying to sell a, a you know, you know, a skirt or something like that. Where your intention is to get people's attention to look at it. I mean, you're just a guy growing up in Maryland, and your dad was a really, really good boxer. And that, what comes of that comes of that. And I, I, I feel like that would be the most frustrating thing is you, just, you and your dad just can't go out, or your family just can't go out, grab a dinner somewhere, just go to the store real quick, go to a ball game without a mob of people kind of harassing you. And uh, maybe when you're younger, it. I don't know, does it become a norm to you, you know, or, yeah. you know, you kind of just be numb to it? Like, I, and then, like, basically what I'm trying to say is that for you and your dad, it was probably completely different because you grew up with it and he was introduced to it. So, right. you know, to, to wrap my mind around that, it's, 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 it's a, you just, I just, I, I personally can't know about you guys, but it seems yeah. like a very wow. trying thing, you know? I, I, I hadn't lived any other life, so mm-hmm. that, that was all that I knew. And so, for me, that that was my norm, you know. And it, 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 as as un, as nerve wracking as it was, um, it, it, it was the it was all that I knew. So I said, maybe everybody else is going through this. And then my buddy's like, Nah, we don't. <laughs> this don't happen the same way with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I figured that out. I figured that out early. But yeah, my my father, it wasn't his goal to actually be a boxer or a professional, uh, no, a champion. Uh, when he was younger, um, you know, he got introduced to boxing by his brother. Okay. And when he was nine years old, he got punched in the face and at the gym and quit. And then he came back a few years later and started doing it. He's like, you know what? I can be pretty good at this because he wasn't like super athletically inclined. So, I mean, a lot of other in our family are better athletes, mm-hmm. but to have the, the, the heart and desire to want to work and try to be the best, uh, uh, he was second to none in that. And so, that was one of the great traits that, that you know, we learned and I try to teach my kids is, you know, uh, you don't have to be the, the, the top talent in this, but if you work hard for someone else, you can be better at that skill set than you were. Because he wanted to go to the University of Maryland after he won, um, won the Olympic gold medal. Um, he was so nervous about fighters being taken advantage of mm-hmm. um, and, and, and coming back and, you know, putting your life on the line to box and it ended up broke when, you, when, you're, when you're all said and done. So um, the only reason why he, he became a professional fighter was because my grandfather was sick with uh, spinal meningitis and tuberculosis in the hospital. Oh, wow. And you know, he had to earn money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they said, how can you earn money? He said, if you turn pro right now and you have a fight, you can pay for your grandfather, your father's bills. Wow. And so that's what happened. Jesus. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's a, and just think, I mean, it, I, I, you, you go to, you know, you're an Olympic athlete, you're, you're a gold medal champion and then uh you know you come back and you just want to live your life but i mean hey if you can make money at it right i mean that's pretty it's not a bad way to do it i guess you know i mean box is back that's another thing like nowadays boxing is not what it used to be and it really should be because it it's one of the great things uh, you know sporting events that people look forward to all you know for months you know when they announce that you know a ticket and they're like this is the, this is who's going to be boxing and everything i remember as a it's kid not promoted the way it was it isn't no yeah, it's not. I remember yeah. when, you know, when Tyson and Holyfield, when I was a kid, I was, you know, seven, six years old, you know, and, you know, the, the Tyson and Holyfield, the big guys, you know, on top. 
and I remember the anticipation for months, you know, the, it's the Showtime HBO old ticket, you know, and, you know, you get all excited to watch it. You stay up late till like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and, you know, and it's going to last, you know, 30 seconds or it's going to last, you know, 45 minutes. You don't know. It's just, it's just the anticipation, and I, I feel like it's such a great sport and it's such a athletic uh, challenge that it's just not – promoted anymore and i don't i don't understand why is it the ufc has taken it over how do you feel about the ufc i mean it's not it's obviously not boxing but it's 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 same the same physical kind of competition you know yeah i i love i love the ufc and i i think that if it was uh more prevalent when i was younger that's probably what i would be in right now because mm-hmm. i'm a uh full mixed martial arts combat guy oh, damn. Oh, yeah. study um different uh, forms of, of combat. And so uh, that's what I would enjoy from wrestling to uh, Muay Thai and to uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, I mean, I, I would I would have probably been doing that right now myself. But I think the biggest thing with boxing is that it became um, you know, such an, uh, a major box office draw that it was pricing people out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you, you couldn't see your fighters or the or guys you follow from your neighborhood unless you pay pay-per-view and they may not, may not have had a name for pay-per-view. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't have it on regular TV anymore. Yeah. And the, the amateur amateur uh, level, uh, I think, has gone down tremendously. Like, it used to be the Police Athletic League. It used to be the YMCA League. You used to have the, uh, the Golden Globes that, that was prominent that you can follow. You know the guys' careers, uh, Pan Am Games to um, to the Olympics, and you would follow a guy' uh, career as he went up. So you built the fan base, you built the following. But nowadays, like I don't see any kind of amateurism in, in, in boxing, and that there's no way to see it or watch it. So if you don't have that 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 filter or, or that that um, consistent group that you're saying, okay, here this might be the next guy I can follow, mm-hmm. then hey, you just follow old guys. You're gonna watch Tyson and Roy Jones again. Yeah, <laughs> you watch Tyson until he's you know eighty years old. He's, he's still going to be putting on a you know a ticket. You know what I'm saying? Tyson, it's the big thing. Every every decade, he's going to come back and fight someone. People are going to watch it because he 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 was probably the uh, the you know the 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 guy that everyone can relate to. Even if you didn't know who what boxing or know any any boxing familiar with the sport is, if you heard Mike Tyson, you were like, yeah, I know Mike Tyson. That guy's out of his yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he's like a car wreck. You can't turn away. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, I, I love Mike. I've known Mike since since he started. Yeah, you know, and I I talked to him. Um, you know, I'm supposed to go up to his to, to his training camp uh, next week and, and and see him. But the, the the turnaround that that guy has had, man, from his life with of all the things that he's gone through, she's. It, it's boxing is a tough life. I mean, for some reason, like you, you watch boxers lives. I don't know whether it, it's, it's terminal to, to boxers that they just create this kind of drama and havoc around themselves, mm-hmm. or it's just, you know, uh, because you're, you're in a combat sport that, that you, that you end up in, in, in a space. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's some, some good young fighters that are coming up too. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Errol Spence, who, who's, who's a dog. You have, um, oh, uh, Mikey Garcia, you got uh, Keith Thurman. Um, you know, you, I mean, you have you have some guys that are, that are coming up, but they just don't get the same recognition anymore. So you can't really pay attention. Uh, you, don't, you don't know the background story. It was dumb. Well, a lot of that behavior, though, you just kind of hinted at, could be from. I mean, if football players are getting what do they call it, CTE, yeah. then I'm sure boxers who constantly get hit in the head, oh. <laughs> probably there's something going on there. You know, 
Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I I don't know why they haven't done a CTE study on, on boxers because, uh, yeah. I, I guess it can all be done post-mortem, supposedly, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time before uh Yeah, there's got to be a relation. I mean, you're, you're getting, you know, 100 mile per hour punches to the head. You know, directly, you know, these are football play, you know, maybe one or two hits a game, you know, are direct impact. But I mean, you're in a boxing ring. You, your job is to prevent the other guy from knocking you out, essentially. And you, it's, that's the game. Who can knock the other person out? And I'm surprised there has been more studies on, on that. And I don't know, maybe, could that be a reason why kids aren't getting into it these days because of, you know, you know, health reasons? I, th- I think you're right on that. I think that's might maybe a, a, a big part of it that, uh, you know, I know the moms just don't want to see a kid getting hit in the head. Mm-hmm. I mean, boxing has always historically been a, a poor man's sport. Like you, you really didn't see someone coming from um, a ton of wealth that, that went into boxing. Mm-hmm. So boxing had a low barrier entry. If you could fight, if you could defend yourself, you were okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, the biggest thing is boxing doesn't have a union. Boxing doesn't have, you know, any kind of group that says, okay, we're going to take care of these guys and, and girls that are coming out to fight. Mm-hmm. And so every every state has their own governing body. And so th- there is no representation. And it's, it's a shame that the community hasn't hasn't come together um, you know, to do something to this point. There's been some efforts, but uh, there's so much money just on the, um, you know, backside and keeping it like Fight Club that, that makes it uh, <laughs> that way. That's crazy. Now, if you had, if you, if a, if a, a kid came up to you, okay, you're an inspirational speaker, right? You motivate people, and they said to you, "I really want to be a boxer." Would you say, would you, would you say it's a good thing to do, or would you say, "I've seen the dark side of it, and maybe this is something you shouldn't get involved in"? Hmm, that's, that's an interesting question because I would, I would never direct someone from from their dream or okay. something that they're passionate about. Um, there's inherent risk in everything you do because I'm, my mother didn't want me to play football. She was like, you're going to get hit in the head, you can get knocked out, that's going to happen. But it was, you know, kind of my mentality that I, I, I needed that contact. I needed to be uh, involved, and that was probably a way for me to get my aggression out, um, you know, as, as my anger as, as a young person. But, um, you know, to inspire someone, I can't like I, they, I hate that the fact that they call me a motivational speaker because I can't motivate you to do anything. I can inspire you to, to have your. <laughs> but um, yeah, for for a young person, um, I, give them the pros and cons, and if you can weigh the risks uh, and say, "Here, I'm willing to take these risks." And just like when you join the military, you know there's a chance that you may be on the front line, and you may have a chance to give your life. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to do that and willing to sacrifice it for your dream. Then you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you, but I'm also gonna give you the whatever what I, whatever I know or people I can direct you to someone that may know better than, than I do to give you all the information to make an informed decision. Then yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, and that's exactly what I would tell my son if he would want to do anything. Yeah, you weigh the pros and the cons, and you say do what you want to do, but this is what you're gonna get involved in. That's the best way to do it. You gotta make people let, let people make decisions on their own, um, and because. Like you said, your mom didn't want you to play football. There's plenty of, I'm sure Tom Brady's mom didn't want him playing football. And look at Tom Brady. You know, she's happy about that now. I'm, I'm, I'm sure she's happy about that decision now. Exactly. So, hey like, Howard, are you a fan of boxing? I noticed you do have a producer credit for a boxing movie for for Tiger. Oh, sure. So, that was uh, yeah. Feel free to talk, my, man. Yeah, dive Jump in. in. Film before my current one. Film before my current one. Um, 
it was a boxing film called Tiger, starring yeah. uh, Mix, Mickey Rourke. And uh, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Mickey Rourke sings a boxing. And um, it's based on a true story of a uh, actual an Indian American, um, a Sikh uh, boxer who's banned from uh, the sport for refusing to shave. Uh, they needed a reason to get rid of him. So they come up with a rule that uh, you can't fight you know, with a beard, even though uh, beards are okay in the heavyweight class. Um, they said, this is different. So the film is about two battles, one in the court, the other in the ring. And uh, the kid had to go, you know, real far, you know, that was in newspapers at the time that happened um, to try to um, reinstate his ability to fight. And uh, it was the classic story, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It took him out for so long that when he finally came back, he, he didn't live up to the potential that he had uh, before they removed him took away his uh, you know, ability to fight. But um, yeah, it's really a hero's story because uh, you know, he didn't let, him, let himself get uh, pushed around or intimidated. So, you know, and Mickey Rourke uh, plays the, uh, the trainer to you know, his uh, fight character. So um, uh, I, was, I was wondering whether you said, uh, let Mickey Rourke fight. Cause yeah, I know he likes to get into the, to the ring. He still thinks he has. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah. He gets in with a couple of Russians. Every now and then. Uh, you know, he, um, you know, here he was just the trainer and, uh, you know, he did a good job and, uh, it, it's a great film and, uh, you know, always good. You know, you can't make this stuff up when you do a true story. So the, um, the film that, you know, I did after that, which is American Whisper, uh, is a true story of an African-American uh, entrepreneur, actually, who was wealthy, uh, owned bars and um, uh, restaurants in Harlem, who came home one night and found his family shot to death at his uh, house in New Jersey, his mansion in New Jersey. And the film uh, is unsolved. And, uh, you know, part of the reason for the movie is to have try and reopen the case. And, uh, it's playing on Tubi TV and Amazon, a couple of other platforms. Uh, it's one about 11 or 12 uh, festival awards. And we're getting like six to 7,000 views per day, not per week, per wow. day um, on the film. But believe it or not, even with that kind of number, it is still not in the mainstream. It's not yet in the mainstream. Really? So we're trying to push, you know, for the views, engagements, um, hopefully a watch party here and there to try to get those numbers up so that the mainstream... What's the name of the film? It's called American Whisper. American Whisper. No H. No H in Whisper. American Whisper. And, I, I, uh, yeah, with a, with a little engine that could. <laughs> I, I am always curious, though, because, like, what you were just saying about Tiger and even this movie, it's based on a true story. You can't make this kind of stuff up. But in a ways... You can, you can't, you, you can, the, the, usually when it comes to based on true stories, I'm, I always feel a little cautious about watching them because obviously, yes, the, the core story is true, but sometimes things are embellished for political reasons, for people to watch, it's for entertainment purposes. So I'm always like a little bit cautious. Like how much would you say percentage wise of this film is, is like right on point and how much of it would you say is like, you know, we had to whatever kind of dial this yeah. up a little bit for entertainment yeah. you know i mean for american whisper it's it's a good um rate of like 75 80 percent 
And yeah. yeah, and we um, we did change the name from the original character because we wanted to kind of have that kind of um, uh, creative license. But you know, it is funny to mention, and in a large part of it is true. Um, many years ago, there was a, a film that was made called 29th Street with Danny Aiello about the kid who uh, won the first uh, million dollar lottery in New York State. And it was, you know, emblazoned on the film based on a true story. And it was only after it was a great movie, you know, uh, but I looked it up. The guy who the film was based on didn't win the lottery. Oh, that's a flat out lie. Not even an exaggeration, a, a flat out lie. Runner up. That's the word. Wow. It was a runner up. And, oh, uh, and yeah, and, and, and they didn't say inspired by a true story uh -huh. or anything like that. It was based on a true story. It might as well have said true story. But yeah, the guy didn't actually win the lottery. Um, so it was kind of <laughs> So it's kind of like. I think we, we did a much better job. So that was going to be my next yeah. question. How much fact-checking goes into making a movie based on the real life? Because, like, <laughs> like you, have the, you have a nice story. The story sounds good. And I'm sure, you know, there's interviews involved and you're talking to people. You're reading, you know, articles or you're just getting, you know, documents. You're just kind of building a storyline and figuring out how you're going to make this into a movie. Um, but like, like you said, you could turn into something where like, the guy never actually won the lottery. And there's a lot of stories out there. Like, you could actually, you know, you know people, like, stories get passed on you know, for years, and then you turn out it never really happened. It was just kind of an urban legend or, you know, I mean, someone's... Knows? That's I mean, crazy. It, it, was, it wasn't just the runner-up. I think he was one of six wow. runner-ups. Yeah. Uh, maybe he had the funniest, interesting story. I don't know. What, so, yeah. Well, I know Bloodsport is supposedly a true story. Bloodsport is like the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, but it, it turns out it's complete bullshit. Like, none of it's true. Like, he, you know, the secret... Kumite, where he goes off to fight and like fight to the death tournament, like it was. It all turned out to be bullshit. But, but that's a that's a real tournament though. Like actually, no. like no. yeah, it is. It's, it is. I a did a video tournament. on it. It's all bullshit. No, no, no. It's just a real tournament. It's a yeah, it's but a it's tournament. not like that. It's no, like no, that. it's nothing yeah. like that. Uh, but like it, it is a real tournament. Uh, like no. Jerry, Jerry Bell, who used to be in the Daz Band, he, he actually won like that tournament. Like yeah, Frank a, Dukes in the Daz Band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tournament, yeah, he's a mixed martial artist like uh, Jerry Bell. Yep. Frank Dukes, no, he's full of shit. <laughs> I'm actually entering in that tournament next weekend, so you know, I have to wear a mask though because of COVID, so it's gonna be an interesting situation. <laughs> wow. You can fight in my basement, that's that's what you should be fighting my basement. That was like Kumite, so it's like Fight Club. <laughs> go to Ray's <laughs> basement, you <gotta> go. <laughs> Uh, whisper uh the more uh views more engagements you know we get obviously uh the closer we get to hopefully breaking out into the mainstream so what? Uh, that's uh you know why we want to try to get the word out so the main focus uh is really trying to reopen the case because mm -hmm. uh, it's never solved well you never found out who did it that's interesting and i wonder with the way the world is these days when you do a movie like that and you do because you, you tell a story that maybe many people don't know or never heard of before so you're introducing a large population to this and people love true crime that's like one of the top podcasts out there they love hearing these stories and uh you come to find out like later on you know because of this movie you've motivated people to kind of want to do their own investigations or like reopen the case or you know or the, the miracle of dna these days and stuff like this and 
that sounds like a pretty impressive thing if 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 a movie that you make based on a true story can turn around and solve a crime essentially give it the extra kick in the ass that it needed that whether or not you know for whatever reason the you know the police wanted to stop investigating or whatnot um I think that's pretty impressive and it it we've seen it happen before I mean maybe the Tiger King lady maybe she really did kill her husband right but we but we were we were never known right we never knew who karen uh carol basket was right but all of a sudden you know someone's saying that she killed a body and you know killed her husband fed to tigers well now you know that area that florida town is investigating i mean it just takes something as little as that and I, I'm very fascinated by true crime. I listen to a lot of those podcasts, and, and you know, when you hear the endings where they don't know who did it, you know, people start googling, people start doing their own, you know, investigation work, right? It's a sleuth. That's what it's called. Yeah. So instead of having one guy being the detective, now you have you know a few thousand people going out there on the internet trying to figure out some information and sharing it, you know, and uh, the miracle of technology these days, you could find uh, information very easily and kind of pinpoint stuff, but. That's what was that's it's amazing, and um, I guess I guess what I want to ask you is is when you when you do a movie that's based on a true story, what's the biggest challenge, um, in taking a true story and converting it into a you know condensed ninety minute film, if you will, you know, or whatever length that you plan on having. It's to do. really uh, no more no less than say any other film. You still have you're dealing with the same logistics. But I would say it's after it's finished and it's out there and people are seeing it, um, you're going to deal with a lot more questions and inquiries uh, than probably you would with a fictional film. Okay. So people, like you said, mostly into uh, true crime, um, the avalanche starts. And you really, if you're going to do something about true crime, uh, you're going to have to pay attention to the websites and Facebook because there's going to be an onslaught of questions that are, that are coming in. Mm-hmm. So that's unique, I guess, to doing a, a true story or a true crime story um, that uh, you're going to get an avalanche of questions. You want to know, is this the right thing? Did this really happen? Did that really happen? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in all cases, you have to respond and answer diplomatically, you know, tr- truthfully. And uh, you know, we took um, creative license no problem, you know, letting them know, because the overriding, you know, goal here is to try to get the case reopened. Mm-hmm. We're in touch with the um, prosecutor's office in New Jersey, in that county, and, um, and it's all about the numbers. If the numbers come up, I think that's going to, you know, correlate to their uh, <laughs> how impressed they are with, uh, you know, the focus and the uh, spotlight on them to reopen the case. So, and that's a uh, question. Sure. So, how would uh, I? I wanted to get your thought process because it's from from film to now, you see a lot more limited series. Uh, are are you seeing that as, as a thing that's happening now? More limited series than full length films. Um. Well, for uh, you know, established television, it's something that um, I'm actually am proposing now, and I on a separate project. Um, I got the approval with my team to do a series for uh, Discovery Network, um, and it's and it's going to be a limited series. Um, but right now, it's kind of untested as far as producing something independently in terms of a series, putting it on the platforms. 
I'm a little bit um, skittish about trying something like that. I'd rather just be features and get it out there and promote it. Uh, as far as anywhere else, I think, you know, you got to go to uh, you know, the, big, the big boys who, you know, control the, uh, control the narrative, Netflix, you know, things like that, HBO. So um, to that end, that's not impossible. It's something that I aspire to do. And I am doing it right now, um, but it's uh, it's not something that I think would work as well, you know, on the independent platforms. You, know, you need that kind of muscle behind you that only you know, uh, Netflix or HBO can provide. So when you, when you take a true story and you, you want to turn into the movie, obviously you have to go to the fundamentals of movie making, right? So you need a plot, you need character development, you need to pretty much put everything together. So. When you're doing a fictional movie, essentially there's a there's a conclusion to the movie that wraps up one way or another, whether it's good or not. But in this case, there is no conclusion, really. It's just kind of an open-ended. And do you feel that's more of a challenge to kind of end a film that's opened? Because we're all used to watching movies that's kind of a circle. You start in the beginning, and you get to an ending, and you leave saying, all right, well, that's how it concluded. Or they leave you with a vague ending for you to, to interpret how you think the you know moment ended, for example, the yeah. end of like Sister Sopranos, right? Goes black. We don't know yeah. what happened. So, how? Was that? That's a uh, <laughs> that's an excellent question, and there are two ways basically that that we saw you know uh, to move this um, to move this uh, concept, and um, one the one we kind of the direction we went in is that there were a lot of chat rooms going on between. Uh, Hired cops who had worked on the case and who were giving their theories, and um, you kind of went in the direction of uh, what these cops were, were talking about. Why, and here's the reason why we think ballistics, etc. Why this um, this went down the way it did, um, and we went in that direction. The other, the second way, is um, you know you could leave it open ended, and when you when that happens, then and that was the original. Uh, screenplay for the story it's really about uh, the person who was affected by it the father who came home and discovered his family you know murdered um, how he moves on in the, um, you know the burden of never knowing who committed the crime, who committed the crime. Um, and if you make it meaningful it can work mm -hmm. fine but we, we went in the direction of uh, uh, the majority opinions um, like six or seven cops who were uh, in the chat room. Damn. You don't know if that's the way it went down, but yeah. that's the whole reason for uh, the case. How much contact did you have with, like, let's say, the, the investigators that were part of this case? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you worked with them, obviously, but I'm just, I'm always curious to know. Like, I'm sure you had to really, you know, sit down with them and have a good conversation. I'm having, actually having more now uh, than I oh. had uh, when we were developing the film because there was enough out there on the internet where I didn't really need to uh, speak to them. It was all there, it was just laid out, just needed to know where to find it. And now that it's um, it's it's out there, um, I'm speaking to at least three people connected uh, to the case, to the prosecutor's office, um, including, you know, some politicians um, that I, I don't think I needed to really speak to them while we were developing the project, but I'm speaking to them now. <laughs> Uh, they're 
you know, and it's just, it's, it's a process and you just got to try to get it out there. Um, and again, they are, what really matters to them is when I tell them that 800,000 people have seen the trailer on Facebook and it's translating to the amount of people who are watching the entire film, that gets their attention. So are you, are you getting any, any negative feedback? Like are people like saying like, no, leave it alone. Uh, um, it's a good point. What we're the only um, thing in that regard are the people who lived in the neighborhood, who lived on the block, who lived in that area, who experienced it. Um, they are the ones who, you know, in, in on Facebook and on social media, uh, we hear from them, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of curious that uh, you know they leave um, really good reviews but they give the film like one star <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and how do you do that? Yeah. They're allowed. Let me tell you right now, they have, they're allowed, uh, but they give like a good, good review. Everything about it was meaningful and really affected them. Obviously because they, they went through it. How are you doing this stuff? Bobby up. And um, they went through it. And, uh, but of course, since it really affected them, they're not going to give it three stars. Do you have so, do you have any fear that you know reopening this case essentially via film will you know any you know the person who's behind it who committed the crime? I do you fear that or have do anyone on uh, working on, on the film fear that this could lead to a person you know maybe doing another crime or maybe you know taken personally and maybe coming after anyone on the film? Does that ever cross your mind or? That's no, I never thought about that before. But now that you've mentioned it, <laughs> I, mean, I don't mean to put you in the bed. No, no, I, I, <laughs> I have to be worried about this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to tell you the truth, there were some very prominent, and they're featured in the film under a different name. Mm -hmm. uh, prominent, um, you know, drug lords and uh, and uh, criminals who were under suspicion. And uh, one of the things that he was uh, kind of infamous for the father was that uh, he would um, always consistently throw drug dealers out of the bars that he worked in. If they came in and they tried to deal, he would sometimes forcibly have them thrown out. And they would all be yelling as they're being thrown out and come back and get you. And uh, so part of the theory is that one of them made good on the promise. Either uh, hit the family to send them a message or they came over him and he wasn't home so hmm. they just got whoever was there and uh wow. but no not not too much because it was such a long time ago i always happened. like when that martin scorsese does like mob mill uh films and he kind of you know goes over things that happened and you know i always think in the back of my mind is you know maybe there's some people who are involved in these crimes that really don't want this news out there you know some of the some of the details and stuff and you know, I guess of any, you know, true story that you, you would make a movie out of, that's, I guess that's something in the back of everyone's mind probably, you know, saying, hey, listen, that we're shaking the bear, we're, you know, we're kind of bringing something back to light that everyone forgot about, you know? But they're, they're smart enough to get away with it that long, and they're smart enough not to do anything to that person because it might lead to them getting caught. Yeah, Maybe that's a very good point. Could be. You know, that's what I think. That's what, I, that's what you're hoping, Howard. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm hoping. And at the same time, like a lot of uh, you know disciplines in our in our 
universe, you go into that kind of discipline to, you know, kind of not shy away in the first place. You know, why do you go into these things? Why, you know, to make a splash, to make a difference. And you don't think about the things that, you know, you mentioned, what if, because, um, I don't know, that's, that's the reason you're committed to what it is that you do. That's the reason you came in the first place is to, um, you know, uh, get on the radar. So I didn't think of it as of that much at all. Plus, like you said, I doubt if they're going to really, uh, if Nikki Barnes is really going to come back and be. Hey, no, no, no name, no names, Howard. That's the nickname for for my cat. Based on, based on, based on. Based on. <laughs> you want to happen in my story for you to see, like, yeah, this girl, right? Yeah, this is true. But uh, you know, it was a nickname anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Well, I think it's great. I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of unsolved cases out there that, you know, need to be brought up. And I think this is one that, you know, that's it's nice to see. I watched the trailer. I enjoyed it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, numbers don't lie. Everyone who's watching it will probably agree with me. You know, and like you said, people are giving it high reviews, but they're giving you one star. It's because they like it, but they don't want anyone to know they like it. You know what I mean? It's one of those and for so. those of you watching uh, right now, it's uh, American Whisper on Facebook. American like Whisper. the page, American Whisper. Awesome. Awesome. No whenever H. I, whenever I see that, because I've seen that before, people write good review and then give like one star. And I'm like, maybe they're just really stupid and they think one star means so, good and yes. five means bad. No, Adam, yes. <laughs> my mom. No, my mother. All right. There we go. Okay. So my mother, we, you know, Adam's my mom. She's a very interesting lady. She actually, one of her friend's companies went on to Facebook, left a great review and then gave it one star because she thought number one was the best. So there's, and now my mom's in her sixties, a lot of baby boomers out there who may think this. So that is a good possibility. And so anything is possible. We we are in 2022. So everything is backwards in 2020. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, damn, so that's true. And uh, maybe uh, some of those service companies will think twice about asking uh, for your opinion and for a survey. Uh, you know, exactly. If you uh, send them an you know underlying message, with a lot of ones and twos. Oh, sorry, I thought that was positive. I thought your stuff was great. Then why did you give me one star? Yeah, because <laughs> I that's thought it. one's good. Well, one's better than five. Yeah, there you go. Howard, uh, you've spoken on uh, there being a, a fair amount of racism when it comes to smaller independent films with uh, African-American leads. Yeah. Uh, like, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, two things. The, um, the smaller uh, uh, platforms uh, weren't accepting films because there were, uh, you know, were no names in it. But, you know, you get these, uh, you know, you get what do you call these telegraph, you know, kind of critiques. Um, but even when I was selling the project, here's where no names come in. Uh, when I was pitching it and I went out to New York and California, um, I was told uh, by some very, very poor to make the family white because it would be more marketable. And uh, very, very glad that I didn't listen to it. Uh, but yeah, you get that. You get that as, you know, sometimes directly, sometimes in code. Um, but you get it, and um, you know that's that least, you know I couldn't even see it, conceive of doing something like that because uh, it just turns everything else on its head. But yeah, they said um, family white because it's marketable, 
um, some names I will not throw out, but you would know if I said them. Um, and uh, and then yeah, there, there were platforms who who don't uh, who didn't accept the film. And even now, when we're dealing with social media on Facebook, Twitter, you know, Instagram, there are haters that uh, jump in and, uh, and just say some really crazy, crazy stuff. And, uh, but it's good that, um, you know, you're allowed to kind of uh, boot them off. And uh, what your responsibility becomes when you do a film, any kind of film like this, is uh, to monitor your sites and your pages um, obsessively. When you catch someone hater coming on and doing something, you know, and they're doing it on everywhere, you know, uh, even you know, whether it's my my site or you know BLM, they do they they just you know plop themselves in. It's kind of your responsibility to obsessively look at that page every day, every few hours, find them, knock them out, get rid of them, report them again. Yeah. So, how did that, how'd that make you feel to, to try to, I mean, if you're talking about, you're, you're trying to tell a story right? as an artist, as, as, a, as a filmmaker, you're trying to tell a story and, you know, you have some sort of creative license with it, you know, to, to do, to make it, like you said, a lot of the ones that said based on true story have uh, a little bit of creative license with it. But when you come in, you're trying to tell a story that actually has some meaning to it, that you know, folks are telling you to change the whole story, change things. It's <laughs> story. Like that sounds crazy as hell to me. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's, a, it's um, it's disorienting because uh, you know, I won't lie about it. You respect the people that you're sitting down with, especially if they got some you know mojo attached to them. You know, and then you hear them saying this stuff. Um, it's like you you keep up the appearance of you know the courtesy and the respect, um, but. You know, it's kind of disorienting that, um, you know, I'm still very idealistic in everything that I do. And when you're hearing this stuff coming back, um, you know, uh, not, you know, don't don't change it from a pistol to a rifle, but just to make the family white. It's yeah, like, it's and, you know, how did you get to where you are seeing stuff like this? Yeah. But, you know, you just smile and you move on. And they feel like the credibility disappears as well because you're trying to be, you're trying to make this as authentic as possible and trying to put all yeah. the, all the facts out there. So you're gonna in go our forward. mind, in my mind, absolutely. Yeah, and I I would, I would say that majority of people, hopefully, would agree with you in saying yeah no we got to make this the way it's supposed to be. This is the story and this is how it's supposed to be because you're you're not helping any case. You're not making you know a you know. A, you know, a, a Disney movie out of this essentially, right? By changing the things around to make it, you know, for the, you know, a particular group of people to enjoy. You, sure. you're, you're, you're basically telling a story and it should be as factual as possible because what, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to figure out what the hell happened and to tell a story that people have forgotten about. And I think that's any way of representing a story, any other way than, you know, the facts is just absolutely disrespectful. And, and I'm, and I'm, glad you decided to you do the right thing i mean that's that's the way you got to do it you're you're a, you're a creator you're an artist and you want to tell a story and fuck everyone else at the end of the day right don't i don't know well it's tough to turn in that hollywood money too so i mean that that shows the character which like, <laughs> that's balls right there it's just waving your balls out there and say, yeah, oh, i'm gonna give you this much money and yeah you tell the story the way we want you to tell it right, it's or true. do it as your artistic side and say here now you tell it like this like a lot of people playing like, ah. yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and take that paper. 
and we lost him. I think we said something. He's like, damn, I should have took that money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. He's like, he's like, my bad. He's like, right, you're no, right. remember he said that uh, <laughs> they would have storms, remember? Yeah, so. no, I know, yeah. Damn, well, I wanted him to plug uh, his movie real quick, but Ryan, you have the information on it real quick, right? We can get everyone. Uh, yeah, uh, check out American Whisper. <laughs> um, it's on Amazon Prime. Check it uh, Ray, out. Ray, I had a, a question for you about your uh, book, Life Success Playbook, and uh, what are some of the, the gems that you drop in there? Can you share a couple of them? So so this this has been a passion project for me for a long time. I've been saying I'm going to write a book for years and years and years. And, um, you know, when we got into the whole section with the COVID-19 and quarantine, I had to spend an enormous amount of time with my children. And uh, I always wanted to give them a guide because I, I had written something on a, on a blog that said, you know, uh, to, to, my, to my kids about what it was like growing up and some of the challenges I have to try to give them something to, to, to besides my words, something that, that stick with them forever that they can listen to. And um, when we started talking, uh, they had so many fears about what was happening. They would watch the news, they watched the you know, all these different the things that, that was driving them crazy. And I said, how do I actually have a conversation? How do I help someone else? Like I said, I always love to coach. How do I help someone else have a conversation with their kids so we can raise a healthy generation of kids or young people that are not afraid uh, to, to talk and tell people how they feel? Because when I was growing up, like you couldn't say, you know, I, I'm, I'm scared or I have some, some issue going on. Uh, it was taboo to talk about being um, depressed in, in a black community. And so I wanted to provide a tool to young people and to parents that they can walk through, whether it's fear, whether it's, uh, you know, how do I uh, uh, you know, increase my self-esteem? How do I become a good leader? You know, all these different things that I've learned from my path that I was blessed to have from being able to travel all over the world. I wanted to put it in a form that made sense. And so it's, it's, not just a regular book it's almost like it's a workbook so each section has areas where the kids and parents can write down notes and so as they go through it and deal with some of the issues that, that we're talking about from stress to uh, uh, suicidal ideations um, all these different things that we never talk about with our children because uh, they always know they, they'll, they'll figure it out or the teachers will deal with it um, we are the teachers now we're at home with our kids for the most part so i wanted to give a tool um to, uh, to help the parents to, to have uh, open conversations because I think that's the key to everything within our communities, within our uh, lives, is be able to have open and honest communication. And we see more of the areas that we can help each other rather than going to our corners and saying that this, this is no, a space where we shouldn't be at. And that's, that, that's why I did it. I'm, I'm down to my, my last, I have a bunch of celebrities that have contributed to it um, just to give their stories. And so, now, when you're a kid, you don't feel alone. Uh, if, if one of your biggest heroes said, okay, I went through this too, maybe it opens you up to have this conversation with your parents uh, about sexuality, I mean, about, about everything. So um, that's what it is. The, the survival playbook is, is meant to be a tool to go through every single year of the generations that the kids are and the parents are going through and um, and hopefully, uh, you know, given an easier way for us to talk and, and then provide a, a way to success. Cool. Sounds awesome. And I, I like what you said, now you have the teacher. That's the way we live for the next few months. 
I have so much more respect for teachers right now. Are <laughs> you telling me? I, oh man! <laughs> you guys didn't sign up for that shit. I'm telling you, that's why you didn't become a teacher because you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't have the patience for it. I mean, getting up every single morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been. My kids just started this this past week. I have four kids, and so. They just started this this past week. My my oldest, she's already graduated. She's doing her own thing. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a weird world. Mm. They, they they come down and they know that we're blessed to be able to have a space where they can go to different areas. But uh, you know, I, I, I talked to some of my friends and their kids, and they're in an apartment, a one bedroom apartment, and the kid like they have to be there with their kids and go through this. And so, like, it's not just stress on the kids; it's stress on the parents. It's stress. I mean, in every yeah. single place. And so. You know, I salute everyone that's going through and, and, and trying to make it happen right yeah. now. God bless everyone. Anyone who has to become a teacher, God bless you because that's a it's a trying profession. And to have to now do it when you didn't choose to do it. And it's one thing of being a, a parent, but then you, you send your kids off and then, you, you know, you get that break. You know, now you're a parent, a teacher. Yeah, everything. It's like you don't you don't get that. It's 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 incredible. Luckily, my kid's only eight and a half months old, so I don't have to teach him. But I could only imagine what you guys are going through. <laughs> oh shit! Damn. Oh yeah, yeah. You you're gonna you're gonna have it's it's, it's going to come because yeah. I'm surprised that I'm have we have we're having this 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 meeting and having this interview and uh, that I didn't have a dog barking or a kid come down and, and ask me where the cereal <laughs> is. So so. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan every once in a while one of his kids is a cameo you know he pops it real quick <laughs> you, you hear my dog bark once in a while but damn well Ray uh, we're running close in the time but uh, I just want to thank you for coming on it was awesome talking to you thanks for coming on man it's nice to meet you thank you real quick we, we, do you want to guys thank you so much for having, having me on it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a good way to spend the evening hell yeah man and uh, real quick do you just want to plug uh, how can people get a hold of you and any website or anything else you get going on yeah, so on, on every social media platform, just about um, besides the, the new young ones like Snapchat and stuff, I don't have that. But um, <laughs> on on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, is everything is at Ray Leonard Jr. Um, my my website is RayLeonardJr.com. I try to make it easy. Um, but yeah, check check it out and, and look for the book coming up, Life's a Survival Playbook, um, coming out pretty pretty soon. So we'll uh, we'll be probably September October should be the release of, of, of the book. Awesome. And we had Howard Nash on, and uh, apparently the Florida weather got the best of him. But American Whisper, with no H, check it out on Facebook, on Amazon, leave a review, watch it, and uh, some of his other work as well. It was pretty impressive, and uh, hopefully we can figure out what the hell happened. I mean, that's the only thing you can wish for at the end of the day, right? You know, so entertainment, but also uh, educational, so you, you know, you feel the facts in it. But uh, that's awesome. Ryan, what are you uh, plugging these days? Oh man, uh, definitely go on uh, the Packy site and check out my recent interview with uh, the Broward, Robert County uh, Sheriff Wayne Ivey. Yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting. We talk about like you know his love for animals, you know his uh, faithful bloodhound uh, Juni, and you know it was a pretty great interview. Damn. All right, Mr. Mallet, what's going on well, in the world of mallets? You, you can always find me here every Wednesday already, That's and right. I'll, obviously. Uh, my YouTube channel, The Whirlwind Potato, where I talk about movies. And um, check out thepacky.com. There you go. And check out the ID84 show, Instagram, Spotify, Intune, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, Ray. Nice to meet you, Ray. It really yeah, was. It was great. Nice it was great to talking you. to you. Thank you for taking the time out for us tonight. Yeah, that was, it was fun. Cool. 
And uh, everyone listening out there, thanks for watching, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Bye.